What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast could be sponsored by you, yes, you, the listener, through the podcast Patreon page that you can find by clicking the link in this episode's description. However, if supporting the podcast financially is not a possibility, that's totally fine too, especially if you are an Apple Podcast or iTunes listener, because you can leave the show a rating and a review. It's important with the way iTunes works, helps other people find the show, and helps the show continue to grow. So please leave a rating and review. Um, there's another option by Stitcher, which also allows you to do that. And uh, don't forget, there are other ways of listening to the show if you're not an Apple podcast or iTunes listener by heading on over to Google Play. Uh, like I said, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, and wherever else you get your podcast, the Chase Thomas podcast will be there. And lastly, I highly encourage you to check out my website at chasethomaspodcast.com to read me at Medium uh, and to follow me on Twitter at Chase underscore Thomas and to go to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Chase Thomas writer. Hopefully you're still with me because this is the end of me rambling. All right, let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, we're back on the Chase Thomas podcast. The Friday roulette version. This is a new thing that I'm doing. It's going to be uh, just a variety of guests, um, kind of quick hitters about a variety of sports related things, and to kick things off. It's Evan Davis, the MLB aficionado, who you may have seen on MLB Network. It's Brian Kenny's favorite baseball analyst. What's going on, man? Uh, I don't think that's Brian's opinion, but I'll take it. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. Well, I would hope it's his opinion. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'll have to talk to him um, if that's yeah. not the case. But uh, Yeah, tweeted him. <laughs> I will tweet him after this podcast. Um, so there's a lot going on in baseball right now. It's starting to pick up a little bit more. It's not like the NFL where like everybody's getting traded tonight as we're recording, but, um, mm. it's, uh, it's getting interesting. We're like, what, 21 days away from the fur from like opening day. Is that, is that right? Is it 21? Uh, something like that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Thursday, March 29th. So today, yeah. I mean, we're exactly 21 days as of this recording. There we go. Uh, are you excited? I am. I don't know if I've ever been less excited about the start oh, wow. of the baseball season. And um, I think that just mostly has to do with uh, the frustrations with the way that this free agent market has developed and the way that it's uh, impacted a lot of players. I think that uh, it's, uh, it's an issue that baseball is going to have to work out and the players are going to have to work out. And um, so it's just frustrating when uh, guys like Greg Holland and Jake Arrieta don't have jobs and we're three weeks away from, uh, from first pitch. Yeah, it's not great. And Jake Arrieta, another interesting rumor has picked up steam this week that uh, we'll touch on just a second. But first thing I want to talk about. So the Yankees obviously are going to be a very fun team this year. They're going to be very good, but Aaron what makes you say that? Oh, well, like, so they got this guy, Giancarlo Stanton, 
to the heart. Never heard of them. Yeah. Um, they have a lot of talent. I think they're going to hit, uh, let's see, let me run the numbers. Yes, 17,000 home, home runs. All the home runs, yes. All, all the home runs. <laughs> Something tells yeah. me this team might be good and this lineup might be good. And could be, could be. They're already heat, che- heat checking, and it's not even opening day. They're just like, Aaron yeah. Boone's already like, what if we just like put Aaron Judge at the leadoff spot? Why not? Who knows? And Aaron Judge in that article um, on NJ.com, he is quoted saying, it's just like, basically, we're going to be good either way. Like, he's not really concerned. It doesn't matter where all of us bat. It doesn't matter where Greg Bird is on, in the lineup. It doesn't matter where Stanton, Sanchez, Gardner, Aaron Hicks, whoever. Like, this lineup is still going to rake. So they're just like, you know what? Why not? Yeah, he's right. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely right. But, like, it's just kind of crazy to think about Aaron Judge as a leadoff hitter. And uh, yeah, sure. What do you think about it? Well, I'd say that you, if Stanton isn't there, you waste Judge's power um, by having him hit leadoff. And you know, the, the the basic tenets of optimal lineup construction is that you have your best hitter hit second, so you make sure he gets the maximum number of at bats uh, without being. Um, Without, without, while also giving him the maximum number of opportunities to have guys on base when he does hit uh, later in the game. Yeah. And you have your leadoff hitter be the guy um, with the highest on-base percentage because you want to make sure that your leadoff guy, who will hit more than anyone else, um, is getting on base as much as possible. Well, the funny thing is that Aaron Judge projects to be a very close second in both categories to Giancarlo Stanton. And so normally you'd say a guy with Judge's power profile would probably want to hit second, maybe third if you were not, um, if you were trying to be a little bit cautious um, in how you put this thing together. But I think that with Stanton there, it gives you a little bit more freedom to play around. And I think that you know, uh, Pakoda has uh, a projection. Let me see. Yeah, a projection of a 356 on base percentage for Aaron Judge, which is only two points behind Stanton. And I think Fangraphs, once you marry Zips and Steamer, they peg Judge for a 366 on base percentage, which is about five or six points below Stanton. So Stanton's your best hitter. I think we can agree on that. Um, going forward, he is just has a more of a proven track record than judge maybe on true talent right now. Let's carve open these guys' heads and and see what's really kicking around in this moment. You might say judge has the edge, but um, you know, projection systems are probably the least bad way to predict how a baseball season is going to turn out. So you think that maybe the optimal way to go is to put judge lead off Stanton second Sanchez third, Bird fourth and Gardner fifth hmm. and six through nine kind of six through nine kind of doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, because then with, with Sanchez and bird being there, you're protected. So you know that you're still going to have power in the middle spots um, for those who might be more concerned uh, about keeping a, a, a traditional lineup kind of uh, uh, profiling the way that we would expect it. So with something like that, um, you can kind of quiet, you know, the old guys who might be freaking out that uh, a guy who just hit uh, more than 50 home runs a year ago is is occupying the spot where mostly slap hitting shortstops would. 
Um, so I think I, I, I can try it. The Yankees have a power hitting <laughs> shortstop who. Well, I know. I mean, that's the other funny out. thing. Yeah, right. Like they can't even do that. There's no Jeter if, sitting there. If 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 Gardner can maintain what he is, if Bird can stay healthy, and if Hicks and Gregorius continue playing the way that they played last year, which is no guarantee, um, and if Gleyber Torres ends up sticking in the major leagues pretty early, I mean, this lineup is lethal one through nine, and when you have something like that, I think it takes the pressure off of Aaron Boone to experiment. And I think that if you're looking at a guy who set the major league all-time rookie single season record in walks and also can hit for the kind of power that judge can, I mean, throw him out and lead off, see what happens. I, I, I applaud the idea. Um, I think it gives the rest of those guys tons of RBI opportunities. Um, and judge is still going to smack a ton of home runs. I don't think that's going to be a problem. And he'll do it with guys on base in later innings when uh, when he's coming around and, and you've got um, the eight and nine spots uh, sitting at first and second base. So I think Boone should do it. Do you think he will? Because I think he might be trolling a little bit. That's the vibe I'm uh, You never know with the New York media, and Boone knows how to play the media yeah. pretty well because he, he was in it for so long. So I don't know. I mean, we'll see. It's We're still three weeks away, and, and you do funny things in spring training that you never bother to do again in the regular season. So yeah, he might be trolling a little bit, but I kind of hope that he's not to be perfectly honest. I think it's a worthy experiment uh, to try um, just because you know that you will automatically have a guy on base, you know, probably four times a game uh, just from that spot um, in the, in the extra at bats that he's going to get. I think ultimately it's going to be Gardner lead off judge second bird, third Stanton for Sanchez fifth. Yeah, but I just think that's so. That's just so antiquated. I know, like, right? We're no... like we're bored by that, but at the same time, like that's still gonna just. T- yeah, it won't be gonna, a problem. It's still gonna rake in, in yeah. the big scheme of things. Yeah. So I mean, I think the Yankees don't have to worry about much, no matter what they do, um, which is a nice place. It's a it's a nice problem for Aaron Boone to have. Yeah. Um, we'll see. It's gonna be fun. Jake Arrieta. We talked about him a little bit. He is still on the open market he has not found a home yet he's been linked to the nationals he's been linked to go back to the cubs like apparently like the he was like like looking for more money than what the cubs paid you darvish i should say scott boris was which i mean shoot your shot boris but that's part of the reason when you were talking about like how kind of just disappointing it is that arietta is still not on a roster i it just does start, start to seem like it's more on boris for not getting this guy a deal at this point? Eh, maybe, but I think also you have to recognize that, you know, Arietta, despite the fact that he is not the pitcher he was anymore in 2014 and 2015, and yeah, he's going to be 32 years old, he's still probably going to be a three-win pitcher. You know, he's still really good. Um, maybe not lights-out ace material. You know, he's not in the Max Scherzer Clayton Kershaw, Noah Syndergaard, Chris Sale kind of league, but he's still good. He's still very good. And you could, I think a team would be completely within their rights to, to go grab him for four years and I don't know, 90 or a hundred million dollars. I think, and, and that I think is actually probably too conservative. I think he could command 126 million. And I think that we see the way that Boris has handled his business this season, he's been 
very intelligent and very wily um, and is very aware of the fact that he's not backing teams into the, he's not backing his players into the corner because teams are being intransigent and teams are refusing to spend money. They're treating a soft salary. They're treating a, the luxury tax like it's hard salary cap, um, which is depressing um, free agent prices. And so the way, you know, he structured this deal for Darvish and he structured or not Darvish, he structured this deal for Eric Hosmer um, with a bunch of opt outs. He did the same thing with JD for JD Martinez. Basically he's figured out a way to get player incentives built into the contracts without the years and the dollars that maybe um, the players were initially hoping for and certainly that the teams didn't want to sign up for. So the teams aren't necessarily getting, um, they're not getting a discount, um, even though it might look like it, because no matter what people tell you, a play, an opt out is always player friendly. It's yeah. always a player deal, and so and so I think those kinds of negotiations. I mean, God, Martinez has three opt outs, you know, and has all this really complicated language attached to the medicals uh, regarding his foot, um, and Hosmer has two opt outs. One of them comes in the fifth year, you know, like Martinez's first opt out comes after the third year. Like, um, can I go ahead and say, don't think, uh, Eric yeah. Hosmer is going to opt out of his contract ever in San Diego. I think that dude's yeah, locking himself. He probably out. won't. Yeah. Martinez, I, 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 see I, hit the market I think again. that's true. Martinez, yeah, and, and, if he breaks like we think he is going to do. Yeah. He might, awesome. he might, he might test the market again. Sure. And yeah. then the point is that like they have, they have that leeway now where if they play well, they could go make more money and renegotiate a better deal. And if they don't, their money is guaranteed by staying with the team. And so it works for them. But there are more moving parts when you try to negotiate multiple opt-outs and early opt-outs into a contract. Yeah. So I think that probably has more to do with the holdup with, with Boris clients. And I'm sure that like teams have checked in on Arietta. I mean, it's not just the nationals. I mean, the Phillies and the Brewers have been kicking the tires on him the whole off season. And now my colleague over at fan sports, John Heyman reports that maybe the Padres themselves are interested in Arietta, which would be interesting. Um, would it be? Cause like, that's, let's talk about that. Like, yeah, I mean, screw it. Like, I mean, the Padres, this is, this is, um, this is AJ Preller, AJ Prellering, you know, when, uh, <laughs> explain that when to you listeners thought, who are when, familiar with well, AJ Preller's, um, he, he was in a lot of trouble not too long ago and he, it's kind of amazing that he kept his job. He's been in trouble multiple times. Yeah. Um, he was sanctioned back when he was head of international scouting for the Texas Rangers yeah. for some illicit signing practices with international amateurs. Uh, he ran into trouble again, uh, since becoming the GM of the Padres with regard to um, uh, medical information that he didn't properly share with the Marlins and the Red Sox in a couple of trades yep. um, and was actually banned from league business for 30 days, which is really just a slap on the wrist, especially since it came at the end of the season. Um, he did a massive 
um, prospect sell-off three years ago to get a whole bunch of major league ready talent, thinking that he could just push the team in immediately, and that failed. And he's had to slowly try and piece the whole thing back together again, which Can he I say, has though, done a pretty happened, creditable job of. When he went for the Uptons and he did everything else, I was into it. I thought this is fun. I like to see the Padres actually try and go for it one year. It it flamed out. Yeah, but it's just I like. Yeah, it. it flamed out, and he just went for the wrong players. I mean, I don't yeah. think that like Matt Kemp and Melvin Upton Jr. were not the guys you bet the house on. I yeah. mean, Kimbrell, yes, Justin Upton, sure. But like he got, I think six major league pieces back for a ton of minor league talent. And a lot of guys who went on to do really interesting things for very successful teams. Yasmani Grandal probably being the biggest name of the bunch. So, and now um, they have a good farm system and, again. So they're and back. I was going to say to his credit, to his, to his credit, he pivoted pretty hard, pretty quickly and got rid of, um, he got rid of the Uptons. He eventually he got rid of Kimbrel. He he brought a lot of prospect talent back. But you know, there's also chatter. You hear things behind the scenes that Preller is not particularly liked in the game. That he's not particularly well respected um, among his fellow GMs. Teams don't like to do business with him, and it kind of makes you wonder exactly how he is going to push forward. I think. Right now, his hope is that the farm, all of the all the prospects will hit in a couple of years' time when he still has Hosmer. If he signs Arietta, hopefully Arietta will still be worth something when he's 34 or 35 years old. And then all of a sudden, he's got two 30-something veterans leading the way, while the you know the Luis Urias's and the Fernando Tatises and all the pitching uh, that he's been developing kind of comes up at the same time. I mean, we'll see if that works. I I worry about a plan like that um, because I don't think Hosmer is that good. And I don't think he's going to be very good as he gets older. Yeah. And I, I think that Arietta on a contender right now is interesting yes. or even Arietta with the Phillies is interesting because the Phillies have so much payroll flexibility and they have so much wiggle room and they are willing to spend to the luxury tax where the Padres are not that you can absorb a guy like Arietta if you don't get to the playoffs in the next two years, the Padres, if they're not going to spend $200 million, they can't absorb Arietta as well. They can't absorb Hosmer as well. And so I think that if that's your strategy, it's going it, to, it might blow up in Preller's face again. And if that happens, God, I mean, that's his job. I don't know how you come back from, you know, two failed push-ins plus a scandal. I mean, he's the best dressed general manager, so that should help. Good tan. Mm, I don't know if I agree with that. I think Tombrowski's tan is better. Okay. Um, Jerry Depoto's bone structure is much stronger. Oh, his bone structure. Um, I'm jealous of his bone structure. It is. And I kind of like Billy Epler's ties, to be honest. We're just going to stick to the West Coast. Um, okay. I have seen you know, Preller I I... in a bow tie, which kind of concerned me at one point. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, everybody talks about Preller's bow ties. Yeah. But not I'm not. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not convinced. No. Um. But like you touched on something with Arietta, where it's like. It, I just, I think he should go to the Nationals. That's where I want to see him end up. That's where I think would be the most interesting for him for the next couple of years, especially just what they're looking for this year. And I want to see more of these teams that we all know are going to be really good anyway, get someone like Aria. Right. Like I want to see them right. add another piece. It's going to make the playoffs that much more entertaining. Like I'm, 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 that's what I'm hoping for. That's, that's where well, I'm at with the Arietta. Nationals, the Nationals have kind of bubbled to the surface because they make the most sense, right? Yeah. Like they're a contender, um, 
you know, Scott Boris has a close relationship with the Lerner family. Um, he's been able to go around Mike Rizzo, the GM, multiple times to get his guys signed um, uh, to the Nationals. You know, Matt Weeders being the most recent, most awkward example of that. So you kind of see all of those things in play and think, well, yeah, Arietta's probably going to go to a team like Washington. Um, but, you know, is are the learners going to go that route again? Will they, will they be picking up Boris's phone calls? I mean, listen, collusion is a very loaded word, but there is, everybody seems to be moving in the same direction, all 30 clubs with how they're behaving in this off season. And that just, you know, maybe it's not collusion or at least maybe it's not collusion the way that we think about it from the mid to late eighties, but it is very interesting to see how all 30 clubs are operating more or less in the same way when it comes to the non-position players, non-U Darvishes, uh, non-relievers in the free agent market. Um, you know, because it's not just Arietta, obviously, that still needs to sign a deal. It's Alex Cobb and Lance Lynn, who are the other two top uh, starting pitcher uh, free agents. You know, it's um, a lot of guys um, and starting pitchers are really kind of popping to me right now as to um, guys that really need to get deals and deserve deals. So, you know, I don't know. I don't know if the learners will, will, will pick up that, that phone and, and, and make Mike Rizzo uh, do the deal. Um, but I don't, so don't think that it would hurt the nationals very much um, in the big picture, because I think Arietta still has something to offer for a couple of years. And I think the learners have demonstrated their willingness to spend. And I think that they should continue to spend because they also have a good farm system and they have good, um, you know, internal talent that's about to, it's about to come up. And, you know, you're probably not going to keep Steven Strasburg and, and Bryce Harper around, um, or at least it's going to be much more difficult to keep those guys. So your time is kind of now, um, and they've never won a playoff series. So why not just get an extra guy? And if you do that, I mean, yeah, he's not, he doesn't have to front line that rotation, but you know, even sitting as a solid number three behind Scherzer and Strasburg, that makes the nationals rotation look awfully scary. Yeah. I, I don't know where he ultimately ends up, though. I really have no read on this. I, I don't think the Padres yeah. are serious. I think what makes more sense yeah, for the they Padres might not is be. like Alex Cobb or Lance Lynn, especially because they have so many yeah. good starting pitchers in the pipeline that are going to be ready to go right. by 2020 that I would just get a stopgap guy. And just... Yeah, and I, I don't think that's unreasonable. I don't think it's an unreasonable idea. And, and you know, oftentimes, you know, you will see information that Boris wants to get out into the world, go through certain channels. And those are, seem to be the channels that are picking up this story. So he might be trying to get a bidding more started, especially given the fact that we're three weeks away from the start of the season. So, I mean, who's, who knows, who, who knows how this is all going to shake out. Um, I still like the Phillies of the Brewers for him. I think those are teams that make a lot of sense that have a lot of flexibility um, the Phillies could really quickly move up their window this year if they want to. The Brewers need a starter as good as the Yelich and the um, and the Kane moves are. They still have a lot of money to spend, and they will have a lot of money to spend uh, in in future years. Um, but they need to fill out their rotation if they want to be serious about getting a wild card spot. So, I like the Phillies. I like the Brewers, but who knows if they're really if they're going to be the ones to get them. 
But do you think the New York Mets have enough starting pitchers? Do you think we should add, throw Arietta in to New York? Should we? Maybe they're one more starting pitcher away from being <laughs> the Mets. The Mets. The Mets get Arietta when he decides to sign a one-year, like three million dollar deal. Okay. That's when the Mets get Arietta. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think I think Boris resigns his commission at that point if that ever happens. <laughs> yeah, um, I think uh, man, I just hope he gets signed because it does suck yeah, that he I he's just too. too good to just still be dangling out there. Yeah. Um, last thing that I wanted to touch on before we have to go: um, the Rangers are trying to piss off Cole Hamels. Maybe they're trying to ignite the fire with him because he did have a down year last year, and he may it be rapidly declining who knows we'll see this year but they want to do a six-man rotation and i like it because their pakoda rankings uh like predictions are not looking good for this year pakoda does not like what the Rangers are going to do this year so i think thinking kind of outside the box here and just being like what can we do to kind of gain an edge maybe this is one of those things i mean they signed tim linscombe obviously they're gonna get weird I, i just think this is gonna be a really weird team and you know what if a six-man rotation might boost them a little bit, might get them a couple more wins to put them in the wild card conversation. Who knows? But I'm I'm all about uh, outside the box thinking. But it does yeah. seem like it's something that will always kind of rub certain veterans the wrong way. Like this feels like a Michael Young response to uh, the six-man rotation. But Cole Hamels, I think, is filling in. Yeah, I mean, I think that Hamels needs to just remember that the five man rotation is actually a relatively recent invention. Um, and that baseball didn't always operate this way. So just because it's what he grew up with, doesn't mean it's the only way or the best way to operate a team. And I think we know that teams are going to be moving more and more in this direction. We've been seeing hints of it for, I don't know, the entirety of baseball history. (laughs) So this is just the next step. Um, And yeah, the Rangers should play around with it because they're not going to be very good. I mean, their position, you know, most of their position core is going to be fine. You know, Shinsu Chu should should turn the bat around. Nomar Mazzara should be decent. You know, Willie Calhoun could, could really show us something and the infield should be good. So it's the pitching where you need to, play around with and you're right i mean hamill's had a down year and he's only getting older i think he's going to be what 35 this upcoming season that sounds oh, 34 okay I mean, he's going to be 30 he just turned 34 so you know you're not getting any younger cole and yeah your numbers on regular rest are better than your numbers on five days rest but you're 34 maybe you actually will find that your performance improves if you can rest up your arm a little bit and besides behind him you know, you're going to be giving 140 innings to Doug Fister. You're going to be dealing with Matt Moore and kind of the shell of the player that he's become, you know, um, I, and, and Martin Perez is going to be getting a bunch of starts. Like this is, this is a shambles. And with guys like Bartolo, with guys like Mike Miner, Bartolo Colon and Matt Bush kind of all sitting right behind, you know, they're trying to stretch Bush out as a starter again, Miner has had kind of a dual role. Cologne is old. You know, Craig Edwards wrote this really interesting piece in Fangraphs, making the point that for a six-man rotation to properly work, you kind of need it to be a seven-man rotation, where you just have the sixth and seventh starters kind of shuttling back and forth to AAA just to make sure that you don't have a 25-man spot um, taken away from you so you can keep a full bullpen. Um, but they kind of have that with Miner, Cologne, and Bush. And you add the other four guys. That's seven guys where you can kind of play with starting pitcher innings in a really fluid way because none of them 
are really going to be that great. And Hamels is the only one who's shown any level of endurance, especially recently. So, yeah, they've got seven guys who could start. You can move Minor, Bush, and Cologne back and forth to AAA. Um, you know, they because minor because Cologne signed a minor league deal with an NRI, and I think Bush and Minor both uh, still have options. So maybe Minor doesn't, but I think there's wiggle room there um, where you can do this. You know, make Minor the fifth starter, then have Cologne and Bush be the shuttle guys. Either way, like there are. They're, the pieces are in play for the GM John Daniels and for and for Jeff Bannister, the manager, to give this a shot. I mean, and and if you're already talking about it now, that means you're talking about it in the clubhouse and you're talking about it in meetings, and that means you can try and get buy-in early. And you know, I know Cole Hamels has been is now public and on the record saying that he doesn't buy into it, but I think that you know. If you're not going to be that good, why not give yourself some kind of edge just to see if it could work? And so also, Mike I think Miner's they... going to get injured anyway, so he'll be back to a five-man. Oh, and that's it. I mean, yeah, I mean, Fist, if Fister has got his injury history, like God knows when Cologne might break down, could be any minute. Um, Moore has had uh, has been hurt in the past, and also Hamill, just because of his age, you know, could could get hurt too. So. You know, why not try and mitigate that as well? Why not try and keep everybody on the field? So I think they, sh- I think they should try it. I think they should go for it. And I can understand his apprehension because, like, the way he. Um, well, yeah. It's because, like, you think about it, like, we don't think about it from their perspective, where it's like he has been conditioned for years and years to know that he's pitching every fifth game. Like, right. there is something I think psychological with this, where it it does kind of mess with you. And I, I do kind of wonder if it is something where like not having that consistency and knowing when you're going to be pitching and that kind of thing can throw you off and can hinder your results, especially right. him being a well, veteran. But I don't understand the college thing because he like, are we doing college baseball now? Like essentially what he said. So like, I thought that was kind of odd, Yeah, but yeah, know. but that's just him being a grump. I mean, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's frustrating that he, he is expressing this level of frustration right now because um, he, cause this is the time, like I said earlier, this is the time to try and get guys on board with this. So I think I have the solution because, because that's cause, cause it's also, this is the time to also like change guys routines, get them stretched yeah. out, get them comfortable with, with five days rest. So we'll see if, uh, if, if, if they do end up going forward with it because they do know that their ace isn't happy now. Um, but you know, they also might Daniels and Bannister and, and their new pitching coach might also just sit him down and, and try and, and talk about it more face to face. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. I had the solution. Yeah. Cole Hamels is not going to finish the year in Texas. That's what I'm getting from all of this, where he's just going to be a grump all year. Cause I don't think this team's going to be very good. And I don't think he wants to be on a rebuilding team at age 34 in this point of his career. You know, what we're getting, I mean, the, Phillies need a pitcher. Let's send him back to Philadelphia. <laughs> Dreams do come true. I, I don't think back that, to Philly. I don't think Matt Klintek going to want to part with prospects. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, you're, you are right. I mean, especially if Cole Hamels pitches well, I mean, he's certainly going to be on the trading block in July. So, um, he might be, he might be throwing up the signals right now, but I think everybody knows like, you know, cause he's just got a team option right now for next year. So he could easily get moved, um, in July. If he, if he shows some, 
some sparkle. So, you know, I guess my only answer to, to Hamels is just pitch as well as you can, no matter what rest uh, you're on and, uh, and get the hell out of Austin or uh, out of Dallas. <laughs> there you go. All right, man. Well, thank you for taking the time. It's always fun. We're, we're almost there. We're almost to regular season. So I'm sure we'll be talking. TikTok, TikTok. Yes. Um, did this get, like you said at the beginning of this podcast, this has been like the least excited you've been. Did I get you excited? Did that pot, did this podcast put you back into the, Oh, this is awesome. Baseball's back. Or did I not? I'm not going to, um, I'm not gonna lie, Chase. My blood's up. Oh, I'm feeling, I'm feeling good about it. Blood is yeah. pumping. I like it. So we'll see. All right, sweet. Um, all right. Well, I'm gonna go check out some more Mike Mustakas rumors as I wait for him <laughs> to sign with the Braves for a one-year deal and fulfill his destiny as the Braves interim third baseman until Austin Yeah. But anyway, all right, Evan, we can find you on Twitter at Evan Davis Sports. We can read you at FanRag and Harball Times, and we will talk again soon, sir. Thank you, Chase. Always a pleasure. All right, Evan. All right, Eric Thompson is here of the Daily Norseman. And Eric, like, I'm just so excited to talk about the Vikings quarterback situation. We haven't talked, actually, since their uh, loss. Unfortunately, I did predict them to lose to the Eagles as... uh, Tampa Bay Trey of Peter Report reminded me that I got both games right. The AFC and NFC Championship game. I was right there. So that that's cool. I can't come out and say that I was uh, pretty confident the Eagles were going to beat the Patriots. I was not there. But the curse continues that if you your city hosts the Super Bowl, you don't actually end up getting to partake in the Super Bowl. Yep. In, in quite spectacular fashion, they they missed the, on the chance for that. I, um, I definitely thought the the Eagles could pull off a victory. I did not see the 31-point blowout in Nick Foles turning into Joe Montana, but that's what happened, and he kept it going in the Super Bowl. So hats off to the Eagles, um, at least their players. Their fan base is still not my favorite, but uh, they're a heck of a team, and they deserve to win the championship. If it makes you feel any better, the Falcons are now going to be the next team up <laughs> to try and break this <laughs> curse because that is where the Super Bowl is next year. It is in Atlanta, so that's that's fun. That is a, that's a fun thing. But uh, Steve Sarkeesian back is back this upcoming uh, season, so we don't really have to worry about getting to the Super Bowl <laughs> anyway. So it really doesn't matter. Um, but anyway, the Vikings quarterback situation about to get really interesting. You wrote like a two thousand plus word piece on this. Like it is one of the most fascinating quarterback dilemmas. I don't even want to call it a dilemma because it's actually all good. Like. Kirk Cousins, who I've been pounding this wooden desk all offseason, I'm like, I, I don't understand how he doesn't look at the lay of the land and everything we've heard about him having these notebooks on every team and just looking at the lay of the land of, like, what makes the most sense for me? I'm ready to win, blah, blah, blah. The Vikings have always made the most sense. And, I mean, I guess one part that would be a little bit concerning, I guess, a few weeks ago was that they didn't have an offensive coordinator because mm-hmm. Shermer left. But now you got a good one, potentially, in John Filippo. So... That's all in place. The roster is ready to win, and uh, Kirk should be going to the Vikings. And if that happens, they will probably be moving on from all three. And I think I saw like a few weeks ago that Teddy was like the favorite heading into the offseason um, by Vegas to be their opening day starter next year, which I thought was pretty fascinating. But um, where are you at with this? What did you find in your research? Where, like, w- let's get inside the head of Eric Thompson. And what you think of 
the Vikings quarterback situation as of right now? Yeah, I mean, it is a quite the ever-evolving situation. And even just uh, maybe a couple weeks ago, even like Las Vegas has definitely changed their opinion because I think uh, the Vikings were something like as recently as two or three weeks ago, something like a 10 to 1 uh, odds to land Kirk Cousins. And now they're the heavy favorite. I think last I saw was, um, you know, either the minus 250 or minus 300 or something like that favorite. So all signs seem to be pointing to that. Um, but as I wrote in my article, there, this is a, definitely such a unique situation because there are four. I mean, it, if you look at it, there's three pretty viable options. If you, you know, there's a lot of pros and a lot of cons to every option on the roster. And then of course you have Kirk Cousins, who I think it's, it's, inarguably the, the most sure thing out of those four options because Bradford and uh, Bridgewater, no matter what you think about them as quarterbacks, uh, their injury history is very sketchy. Uh, you have to wonder about uh, Case Keenum being a, a one-year wonder kind of thing. And uh, Mike Zimmer wondered that aloud at the combine. Uh, yep. I, I thought he was incredibly revealing in his press conference. He wondered um, aloud kind of, about all three of the quarterbacks. He just did not care. Yeah. And well, and he, indirectly wondered aloud about Cousins too because he basically said and I'm sure he was talking about Cousins when he said you know he wants a quarterback but he doesn't want it at the cost of another uh, another you know a lot of pieces especially on you know the defense and they have some very big players coming up over the next uh, season that they want or they're going to have to extend and pay some pretty decent money to you have Daniil Hunter the edge rusher who has really come into his own he'll be heading into his third year he'll be looking for an extension it's going to be a, a pretty rich extension. He didn't have the sack numbers that a lot of people anticipated, but he's definitely um, a very good pass rusher. You have Anthony Barr and Eric Kendricks, both due for extensions. Uh, that was basically, I mean, that's their one-two combo at linebacker. Uh, that's one of the places that they're pretty thin after those two. And, of course, you have uh, wide receiver Stephon Diggs, who's going to demand quite a few dollars as well. I know the team has a little bit of an injury concern with him. He hasn't really stayed healthy for 16 games, but when he's out there, he definitely produces. So long story short, with Cousins, I definitely think he's the probably the best or the most known option, but is he worth whatever he's going to demand? Because in, you, know, you hear these, these numbers getting thrown around, but it could be the richest contract in NFL history. He's going to be the first person to break $30 million a year. That's where it kind of gives me some hesitation just because – I mean, that is a lot of money to pay someone who is not Drew Brees or Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers. I think that's, I mean, when you, and of course, Jimmy Garoppolo got paid, like he's going to eventually be one of those quarterbacks. And that's maybe a little more understandable. And Cousins uh, definitely has put up the numbers. If you have him in fantasy football, you've been very pleased with him. But he doesn't come without his flaws either. So it's it's definitely, I mean, as I said at the end of my, I think it was about 2,500-word article, it was basically yeah. 2,000 words of me kind of shrugging my shoulders. <laughs> I, do not, I do not envy Rick Spielman and Mike Zimmer in the Vikings front office because it's a difficult choice and, and there are um, definite pros and cons to, to each option. But it really seems like um, everything kind of start, is maybe starting to point to Kirk Cousins being the next quarterback of the Vikings. Well, it's also you mentioned Aaron Rodgers, and like apparently the report is that he is waiting for Kirk Cousins to sign before he signs his new deal. So he's gonna basically like see, all right, Kirk Cousins got this. I'm getting at least this because he I, I want more. And so like Kirk Cousins will probably become like the highest paid 
quarterback in the league for like six hours and then yeah. Aaron Rodgers will sign the dotted line and then of course because it's the Vikings and the Packers that they have to do this on the same day or something like that and uh, enhance this rivalry even more but I don't know I feel like the Vikings like you said you don't really envy the situation that Spielman and Zimmerman I would I would say that I, I think it's a pretty enviable situation because every option is pretty good outside of Bradford like Bradford I would be a lot higher on bringing him back if we just didn't see what we saw at the tail end of last year and just him hobbling out there and just not looking like the same guy of last year yeah i mean it was it it, he had one game and that was that was it and that was a great game it was a great game it was a great game the saints Uh, and then that was it yeah i mean that's the thing i i said i mean it might sound crazy but i kind of have a little more faith in teddy bridgewater's health than uh bradford's right now just because as terrible as Bridgewater's was, it looks like he's on the road back and he's making these strides. Of course, he had only had a handful of snaps, and those snaps were great in garbage time against the Bengals. But you know that's that's neither here nor there. But when you have uh, someone like Bradford who's had several knee injuries, and this seemed like such more of a chronic thing, it was just every week you heard, well, he's just not getting better. His knee swelling up, and of course they tried to trot him out for that Monday night game at Chicago. That was so sad. Oh, that was just, I mean. It was the you know the throw in the towel from Rocky moment for supporters <laughs> before they finally did. Yeah, and I mean that's it's it's really tough to just think that um, he's going to come back and be able to play 16 games because there really wasn't a a specific play in week one or a specific hit that he took or anything. It was just all of a sudden his knee kind of gave out, and when you hear that whole you know bone on bone kind of thing, and it's a surgically reconstructed multiple times, that just makes you more nervous. Of course. Bridgewater is no um, sure thing either, but at least it looks like he's he's making progress back from his injury. Whereas Bradford, you you don't really know. Can I just say, like I I remember where I was when Bridgewater went on the field. And that ovation was just top notch. So shout out to the Minnesota fans for giving Bridgewater a great great um, yeah. Sounding uh, well, I, I remember. Field. Yeah, I remember. I was. Because I was at the stadium. It was, okay, it, well, it was you're pre- lucky because... Yeah, I mean, yeah. I've been to that uh, U.S. Bank Stadium now seven or eight times for games, and that was easily the loudest that I've ever heard that stadium get. That was absolutely amazing ovation. And no matter what um, happens, it really doesn't seem like Bridgewater is going to be sticking around. I think he's going to have some yeah. options on where he goes next. But that was a, at least a cool mo- moment to have. But unfortunately, it's really pointing to, you know, Bridgewater is going to be the... the latest chapter in the encyclopedia of Minnesota sports what ifs because it really doesn't seem like uh, you know that many signs are pointing to him being the uh, being on the roster next year we'll just not talk about the fact that he threw a pick in his first pass like I that I I literally yelped when he threw the pick I, I was with my roommate and I was like so excited and he's like oh Bridgewater's back and then he threw the pick and I was like oh my god this is not okay uh, that was not what I wanted for Bridgewater in his first pass, but it happened. And it's interesting that like the report is that multiple teams actually see him as a potential starter, which I would not have bet on at this point, just because we haven't seen that kind of Bridgewater in a year and a half that teams would take a flyer on him and like bring him in with the hope that he would be their team starter. Um, mm-hmm. But let me lay out who I think all the Vikings quarterbacks should go. Case Keenum, I think, is going to be a Bronco. I think it makes the most sense for him mm-hmm. to go to Denver. He is literally number seven because of John Elway. 
if you do like he's talked about that like he has a love of john elway he does like it just those two are gonna get together that's gonna happen and it makes sense and he could be a good stopgap quarterback in denver he'll be a lot better than what they had last year it'll be fine so i hope he goes there and i hope he gets a chance to start and win it win the job in denver that said they should still probably draft a quarterback but whatever bridgewater i want him in buffalo I think Ooh. Buffalo is the best opportunity for him to potentially jump into a starting spot. Brian Dabble is their new offensive coordinator. I don't think Tyrod's going to be there long-term. They clearly are just never going to be a long-term match, I think. And Bridgewater, I think, would have a really good shot of starting in that kind of environment. I think they're on the they're on the rise. I like to see Bridgewater go there. I don't like the Miami spot. I think Miami is just in a really weird, tumultuous situation. Like They're about to eat a bunch of dead cat money. By releasing Sue, they're saving like $3 million, but eating like $22 million or something. Yeah. It's uh, not great. And uh, they, Adam Gase loves Tannehill. So I don't really like that idea because I don't think Bridgewater has a good path. I think that just seems more of like a homecoming thing than anything else because I don't like right. that as a football fit. But uh, yeah, I hope he goes to Buffalo. And then Sam Bradford. This hurts me, but I would bring him back if I was Minnesota. He's the one that I would keep. And it's because I don't think he would even like want to start, you know, at this point where he just looks at his knee and he just, he's at that age where it's like, if something happens with Kirk, I can step in and just having someone around some sort of continuity because I think Bridgewater and Keenum both want to start. I'm not sure Bradford is in that mindset at this point in his career that he might be okay backing up cousins. And I don't think that'd be the worst thing in the world to go with Cousins and um, Bradford for the next year. And I will say, saying on this podcast, it is March 8th, <laughs> Kirk Cousins, if he signs with the Minnesota Vikings, I think the Vikings are going to the Super Bowl next year. Oh, Chase, if, 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 you, <laughs> you could, if you could guarantee that for me, I would say pay Kirk Cousins $50 million a year. I mean, but... <laughs> did I not say the Vikings were going to win the NFC North before last season? I mean, you are pretty, you are kind of on a roll here with all these Vikings predictions. That, I mean, that's if they, well, I mean, that's definitely the goal. I mean, it's, it's Super Bowl or bust if they sign Cousins, because if, if you got to this, the game before with Case Keenum, you pay a ton of money to Kirk Cousins and you don't get there, you kind of have to consider that a failure, especially if this with the the 2018 run here, I mean, say the the Vikings do pay top dollar for him. I really hope that you know if Cousins is serious about it, he'll take a little bit of a discount, maybe more of the I'm crazy to say, but like you know maybe the mid to high 20s per year, at least give the Vikings a little more cap flexibility. They could you know, that's the the window still you know if they're planning on moving on from a couple of these players, which they're almost going to have to do. They'll have everyone for 2018, so it it could be definitely be kind of you know an all in one year kind of run, which was what they tried to do with Sam Bradford in 2016 until the offensive line absolutely fell apart. But yeah, I mean that's that's kind of the goal in 2018 for the Vikings, especially if they sign Cousins. It's it's definitely a win now mentality, and as risky and as, uh, as opposed to some Vikings fans might be, you kind of have to admire it. So they're the uh, Vikings are putting you know everything they can towards it. So, but now I have to give my opinions on where the other ones might go to. Yeah, I'm ready. The Bradford thing has actually has been brought up. If he's cool with taking a pretty big discount, obviously they're not going to pay him what his last contract was, and he's not going to get that anywhere else. But 
I, I could definitely see that if he, because he'd be the one that might be okay with, you know, if he, of course he would say he'd be competing for a top spot. And he does have kind of the advantage of being familiar with a lot of the Vikings coaching staff, even if uh, Filippo's going to bring in some new ideas. But I think uh, the one team for Teddy Bridgewater, I, I'm with you on the Miami thing. They're just kind of, they don't know what they want to do. They seem to change their mind by by the month and by the season. You know, yeah, you don't know what you really have in Tannehill. They're still invested pretty heavily in Tannehill, so I just don't see Bridgewater working there. But the one team I do see that might make sense is Arizona because Ooh, I like still, it. They still have a lot of pieces there, but they're more cash-strapped than anyone in the cousin sweepstakes, so they're kind of just out by default on him. But if Bridgewater takes a an incentive lane deal, which lets him compete to be the starter, or maybe sit one more season behind Carson Palmer, depending on where where he's at, um, you know, he's Didn't definitely. Did Carson retire? I thought he announced did, his retirement. Did he announce it? Oh, I thought look. he did. I think he's out. I could be wrong, but I feel like they like are operating this off season under the impression he's not coming back. Oh yes, you're right. Okay, that is. Yep, I just wanted. Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay. That's, but yeah, so they are definitely looking for a starting quarterback. I was, I thought he was mulling it still, but yeah, uh, it looks like he did back in January. So that shows how, uh, how involved I've been in only the Vikings. I'm not going to hold it against you that you yeah. are not keeping up with Arizona Cardinals. Well, they are an, in well, they, early they are an opponent next. They 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 host the card. The Vikings host the Cardinals next year, so that mm. would be another um, uh, interesting wrinkle if Teddy Bridgewater goes there. But um, I like it. Yes, <laughs> it'll be. Uh, but I think that's it. That would make sense. Um, that that situation might be uh, the best. I think you're right. Product. I think that's where he lands. I think yeah. you've sold me. I think <laughs> of just him with McCoy and just that roster is still David ready to Johnson win now. Coming back and they yeah. still have a pretty a few decent, if high priced pieces on their defense too. So that could be an uh, interesting one. I'm I'm with you on the Keenum and the Broncos thing. I think that makes a lot of sense in a lot of levels. Although uh, um, Broncos did deal Keep to leave tonight. Uh, yeah. to the Rams. So they, they've obviously freed up some more cap space. Maybe they're going to try to throw everything at uh, Kirk Cousins because Lord knows John Elway loves him some quarterbacks. And uh, yeah. I could definitely see them still trying to be in the Cousins sweepstakes. But if they Which do miss out... Which doesn't make sense to me. I don't get it. I don't know why Kirk... I don't think really they're... Yeah, I, I just they don't... need to go through a rebuild. Yeah, they really... Because they're, they're just so um, behind in a lot of different places and they're going to have to pay the piper in a lot of different areas that for the after their Super Bowl run, I mean they overspent in a lot of areas, and I think the Talib deal was part of that. But yeah, I just don't think they're going to be close enough to make that Super Bowl run. But again, with Elway and quarterbacks, he he always wants his his guys, so it'll be interesting. I mean, he struck out enough in the draft, so I don't think he wants to try that again. So it'll be interesting. Um, with the the only you know, of course, there's still the the Jets and the Browns to talk about because they both have the most money, and they're going to throw it at Someone, they'll probably screw it up, but <laughs> they'll have to pay someone. And I could definitely see them, um, if they don't land Cousins, still being in the in the Keenum sweepstakes as, as well. Because I think um, the Browns, especially with all these draft picks they keep having over and over every year, they may not be as far away as people think. I, you know, they're not going to compete next year by any means, but, you know, they could be, if they actually make a couple of really good selections, they could be a couple of picks away, or a couple of years away, and maybe Keenum can lead them there. But... Yeah, I think um, I I do like the idea of if man if they they could bring back any of the three quarterbacks to I, but I mean I think Bridgewater it seems like he definitely wants to compete for a starting job same with Keenum and I think they both deserve to yeah the the Bradford as a backup would just be um, 
serendipitous for the Vikings, I think, because that gives them two very good options if, if the worst happens. Of course, I, I pointed out that the Vikings are, might likely play play at the Eagles to start the season, who have just reloaded their defensive line to make it even better. So, because you know the defending Super Bowl champions always play in that opening Thursday night. The Vikings are scheduled to play at Philadelphia. That and so, if if anything bad happens to the Cousins that that week one, uh, with they with the Vikings not being able to pay a, a ton to offensive line, it'd always be nice to have a plan B. Yeah, I agree. All right, man. Well, this is this is a happy time for you. The Vikings are in a great spot. I mean, like this is uh, I think. A really good situation, I think. I mean, who knows what happens with Terrence Newman? I'm still holding my breath on what happened there because, you know, bringing him back, you need that veteran leadership on the defensive side of the ball. So we'll see if they're able to talk him into coming back for one more year. But uh, I don't know. I think it's going to be good. I mean, you even got some compensatory picks on your horizon with uh, all these free agents leaving. And uh, that will Jared definitely be gone. Yeah. yeah. Well, he'll, yeah, he, he's, he's as good as gone, I'm sure. Yeah. So yeah, it's good times. Like I know you have gone through a lot as a Vikings <laughs> fan. I know you have your your chart that uh, very clearly points out good things and being a Vikings fan. But I will say, Eric, this is embrace it. This is good times. And yeah, Minnesota I mean wins. it's 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 simultaneously thrilling and horrifying because you're always worried that the Vikings are going to make the wrong choice, especially when it comes to quarterback. But um, it, as long as they don't completely break the bank and uh, drain all their funds for Kirk Cousins. I'll definitely be excited for the the opportunities. It's definitely not a, a sure thing by any means, but yes, it is an exciting times that and the Vikings should be poised to make another deep run in 2018. All right, man. Well, we can find you on Twitter at Eric underscore J underscore Thompson. We can read you at the Daily Norseman. Read Eric's great 2,500 words piece on the Vikings quarterback situation before. They sign Kirk Cousins and uh, keep up with that uh, Minnesota Vikings site as the NFL free agency gets started at before the Los Angeles Rams trade for everybody. So <laughs> do that, and uh, let's talk in soon, sir. All right. Thanks for having me on, Chase. All right, Eric. All right. We're back. On the podcast, and now on the line, Jason Pat of FanRag Sports. Jason, the Chicago Bulls have to play Robin Lopez and Justin Holiday again. How are, how are you feeling? Uh, I'm honestly was kind of waiting for the NBA to do something. It was, I was kind of joking about it when they uh, when they kept sitting. It was like, well, you know, like the the NBA claims that they're going to like be re- watching out for tanking, and the Bulls are clearly trying to do like a tank move here by doing this so i was kind of honestly waiting for something like this to happen the bulls didn't really get in trouble they obviously have to play lopez and holiday a bit more now holiday perfect like scenario comes out hits like all four of his three pointers yesterday the bulls win a close game against a fellow tanking team well i mean whatever like obviously the, it doesn't really help the bulls that much that they have to play them and they want to lose games but i honestly i don't really have a problem with the nba doing it because they are trying to clean up some of this tanking stuff and to take two starters and then just all of a sudden just like not play them for weeks at a time. Like that's obviously a blatantly tanking move. Like I get like, I think they can still probably shuffle them in and out of the lineup. They can play them for a few minutes in games. They can still sit them out some games and those have to, those have to be a little more subtle about it because before it was just, it was quite blatant. All they have to do is do the Mecca Okafor 
thing where I think you just start Robin Lopez and Justin Holiday, and then you never see them ever again. Like, yeah, right. That because I call it the Keith Bogans plan. That's what yes. the Bulls did in 2010-2011. Bogans played like twelve minutes a game, first beginning of half, and then beginning of each half, and then that was all he did. So like, and that's what they did with Holiday yesterday. It just so happened that he made all his shots and scored like fourteen points in his seventeen minutes. But even that, I don't even think he was really a difference in the game. The game ended up being close, but the Bulls were blowing out the Grizzlies even without him on the court. And then they almost blew it. But then he didn't play at the end of the game. It was mostly the young guys like Chris Dunn, Larry Markkinen, Zach Levine that closed out the Grizzlies. And blowing a 20-point lead against the Grizzlies in general would have been super embarrassing. And I guess would have been better for the tank, but like also very embarrassing and probably not that good. Not a great look for your team anyway. So whatever. It's maybe not the best for the future, but... Just have to deal with it. Yes. How do you feel about this iteration of the Baby Bulls? Yeah, so, I don't know, like, when they, I was a big, I'm a big Jimmy Butler fan, so when they made the trade, it was kind of like, eh, I, I, obviously I have not liked what Garpak's Bulls front office has done, what they did with Jimmy Butler, like, last year was a disaster, I thought they deserved to be fired over that. So I kind of, trading in, trading Jimmy and starting over rebuilding was, to, was totally fine. The, the return, I was not a big fan of Chris Dunn. Levine, obviously he was injured, ACL. Lowry, I had my skepticism about him. And this year, they've they've all shown bits and pieces of being possibly a nice young core. Chris Dunn has gone from basically unplayable last season as rookie to he's average lower-end point guard. He's shown ability to hit, make some clutch plays, playmaker defensively. I still have my doubts about him, but he's Same. at least not completely – he's at least not completely terrible. Like, he still has a lot of room to grow, though. I think his true shooting percentage this year is still, like, 48. He doesn't really get to the line that much. He struggles to finish. His jumper's erratic. Still a long way to go, but at least he's not a completely lost cause. I kind of thought he was. Lowry, I'm kind of all in on Lowry. Like I think he could be a future all-star. Just his skill set as a shooter. He can dunk like crazy. His his defense is obviously not, I don't think ever it's ever going to be great, but he's shown signs of being all right. So I'm, I'm in on Lowry as, I don't know if he'll ever be superstar type, but as maybe a number two guy in a really good team. And maybe you think maybe he even and Bobby Portis are a good match at the four and five long term, or where do you see marketing as a as a starting group i would think not i think because one of the things i, ha- I do worry about long term for the future is just their defense they've been terrible defensively yeah i don't I, I think portis portis has made really nice strides this year but i think he's probably better as a six-man type energy guy off the bench score mm-hmm. a lot and i think i think the bulls could really use a starting five that can really uh rim, need a rim protector because like i said their defense is really bad uh like that's why I've, i was kind of hoping in this draft I mean, obviously DeAndre Ayton is the best center in this draft, but then, or if they could get Jaron Jackson Jr. or Mah- even Muhammad Bamba, obviously those guys are a bit more raw, but as like a defender, rim protector type, I think those guys could fit really well next to Lowry. I think the Bulls could also do stuff with Lowry as a five, but not as like a full-time five. I think it'd be really tough to have a really good defense with that ha- with that happening. Yeah. Uh, and then I guess Levine. Levine's been kind of what I expected. He's been super erratic. He's kind of a chucker at times. His defense is obviously terrible. <laughs> Bulls are, the Bulls are going to be in an interest, interesting spot with him this summer that he's going to be a restricted free agent. I'm hoping maybe since he is coming off this injury and he hasn't, he's been kind of up and down that maybe they can work out a team-friendly deal. And there won't be that many teams with cap space, but all it takes is one team. I know people have talked to me. I've had some people say, oh, he'll definitely get like a max or 20 Ugh. plus million. I know it sounds awful. Like somebody was telling me like <laughs> the, Sixers, the Sixers will have a lot of cap space and that could make some sense for them. But like, I just don't understand at this point in time, like why you would spend whatever that'd be twenty-five ish million a year on a guy who's he's exciting, he's athletic, he can shoot the three, but overall, I mean, do you really want to be giving that kind of guy max money when he's got so many other flaws in his game? 
I would think not, and I hope the, I hope they don't. I would assume that the Bulls will spend whatever it is to take him because I think basically him as like the centerpiece of the Jimmy Butler deal and then letting him walk, no matter the price, I think would probably look kind of stupid for them. So, yeah, I mean, so ultimately, like, you look at these guys, like, there, is, there are signs there that they could be really good, but like I, like I mentioned before, I think defensively, I, there are going to be big questions there. They need, they need a long-term center, and they could really use some help on the wing moving forward. Levine, he's, like, one of the best guys to have if you have a really shitty team because he's just always exciting, and yeah. it, he, like, he's just as fun on a good team as he is on a bad team. So, yeah, He'll get buckets for you. He'll get yeah. he'll post the guys, and he'll put up big numbers. So it looks like he's doing great, but there's there comes a time where he's got to play winning basketball and make the right reads as a point guard. If the Bulls want to play point guard, sometimes he's got to play defense. Like I said, and his defense has still been disaster. I was I, I haven't looked after yesterday's game, which helped him a bit. But I think before yesterday's game, he had like on court net rating or defensive rating of like one fifteen, like on court net rating of like minus fourteen. So like. Pretty brutal stuff you're looking at here. So like, even though his game can be pretty sometimes, it's, it's been a work in progress, which after the ACL injury, that's kind of expected, but the defense obviously isn't new. So they're going to have to see a lot of improvement there, or they're going to have to get pieces in that can, can help uh, cover him because it's not, it's not pretty. They kind of remind me of what the Lakers are in right now because Portis, I think, has a lot of like Kyle Kuzma to him where it's like you're not sure if they're going to be the starting quality stretch four on a really good playoff team, but you know, they are valuable and you know what you're getting with these guys now. And Kuzma, I think was uh, obviously ahead of the curve when he came in the league and everything else than Portis. But um, I like where Portis is. I like marketing, but I don't think any of these guys, like especially Chris Dunn and Levine, they don't really have anyone still on this roster that projects to be like a number one option on a really good team. And they have these pieces that like just, I don't really know outside of marketing who I'd be like, I would not move this guy. Like they still have a lot of work to do. And I would be a little nervous if I was a Bulls fan right now. But I mean, I guess I'd always be nervous with Gar Packs <laughs> at this point. But I don't know. Like, I think the only guy on this roster who I would say is like untradeable is um, marketing and maybe Denzel because I will always be here for Denzel <laughs> Valentine and his three point ability. Like I was convinced going to the draft. I loved that pick when they got him there. And I was like, he's going to be such a good two guard for this team. He can just shoot lights out. Like this dude's going to shoot like 40% from three every year. And then um, it took him a while, but he's now I think 36 years old on the bulls <laughs> and he is uh, getting a chance to play now because Wade and Rondo and everybody's gone. So he's getting an opportunity, but he's, I am not a Chris Dunn fan at all. I will say that I do not get it. Um, he's it's a little concerning that he is now a leader of this team because I was reading a Chicago Suns Times piece on him this week, and they were just talking about him like not wanting to be a leader in Minnesota, and now he's like taking a leadership role with this team, which is concerning because I don't know if he is someone I would keep long term because like just with the way this league is going, like. I don't know. He kind of reminds me of like a poor man's Dennis Schroeder, which I don't know yeah. <laughs> is a good thing at all. But uh, yeah, I, I, I'm still pretty skeptical. Yeah, I, about no, I, the Bulls I, I to- are. yeah, I totally, especially talking about Dunn, I definitely share skepticism. As I mentioned, like his, even though like the, he's had these games where, oh yeah, he looks great. He had the game against the Mavericks earlier this year where he had like 30 some points. And like, like last night he played pretty well, but just like I mentioned, the things he doesn't do well, like his true shooting percentage is still like way below fifty, which is obviously. Wait, what does he do well? I really don't I know mean, the answer to that question. He, like he like he's he's a playmaker on defense, which is nice. Okay. But like, 
obviously in the NBA, like you, if you have a point, your point guard, you want your point guard to be a guy who can penetrate. You want him to be able to score, but you want him to be able to shoot. And like he's, he's shooting what they're like 32% from three, which is a little better than last year, but it's still not good. Like he had like one good month of shooting. Like before he had this weird the thing where he face planted, had a concussion. Like he had, he had was showing a bit more signs. He had one really nice month of shooting, but like overall just, he has these games where he goes from where he looks like he could be a star. And then the next night he'll go like three for 13 and turn it over four times because the turnovers have also been a huge problem his his uh handle is just can be really loose and even even yesterday down the stretch of the game where he had a bunch of nice plays in the fourth quarter but there was one play there was an and one dunk for Dave, David Nwaba that was basically done barreling into the lane his head down he almost lost the ball and he was able to like pass it over to Nwaba for a dunk <laughs> another play again he was out of control and he got it was the play where i think the ref it was getting memed or the ref like with a really emphatic block call which is kind of a terrible call but dunn was just again out of control like he ran the defender over but he got free throws out of it because he got lucky but yeah i'm totally skeptical about him because he just started so bad where the fact that he like looks like average now is just like a huge leap for him where it looks just so much better than he was last year because i remember last year the few Timberwolves games I watched him in, I was just like, this guy is like one of the worst players in the league. Like, what the, what's going on with this guy? So, like, the fact that he's like just okay now is a huge step. It's just a matter of can he take that next step again next year? And like, he'll be, he's going to turn 24 in like two weeks, which is super old, obviously, for a second yeah. year player. So, like, next year in his third year, I, I was talking about this on one of our, the, the bloggable, the Bulls website I write for, that like it's, that could be like a make or break year for him. Like, he'll be 25 by the end of next year. And, the Bulls are going to be wanting to take a step forward in the next two to three years. So, like, if he doesn't make much progress next year, I think you're looking at 2019 offseason as probably needing an upgrade at point guard. So, next year will be a super year big for super big year for him. And obviously, it'll be all these guys with an offseason. Levine will have an offseason where he's not rehabbing. And hopefully, Lowry, after a year in the league, add some more strength to him, build out his game a bit. So, next year will be interesting to see what kind of steps that this core core can take moving forward i hope they don't do much this this uh summer like they don't really need to rush in anything like i don't want them to go spend a ton of money on like jabari parker or rodney hood or something stupid Bring like him that home. yeah <laughs> like i just i would not want that at all it's like keep it play, play it slow see how this young core does next year do whatever if they're bad again next year like it's really not the worst thing in the world to add another decent draft pick and then i think 2019 that summer and then moving forward then is when you would hope that they would take really forward and be a playoff team yeah, and if you're going to move Jimmy Butler, who I still think that deal really sucked, and I, it just, I'm a humongous Jimmy Butler fan, and just seeing yeah, what so. he's done with uh, Minnesota, I was pretty much, I, I don't know, I think I was on an island, or it felt like it, where I was like, I would not trade him if I was Chicago. It's like, well, what are they going to win with him? Are they going to be a seven or eight, eight seed with him for the next couple of years? Blah, blah, blah. But I'm like, if I'm a prospective free agent, like, I just, I think it's so hard to get guys like Jimmy Butler. And they developed him and he turned into a star and a top 10 player. And it's just like, it was the same thing with Indiana. I mean, obviously Victor Oladipo has been great for them and it's worked out relatively well for them without Paul George. But at the same time, I don't think Victor Oladipo is as good as Paul George is even right now. So if that's the case, like you're still, it's still really hard to find guys like that. And I just was like, well... The Bulls are about to go through a really rough stretch. And I don't know if I believe in this front office to commit to a long-term rebuild anyway, because it's the same problem the Knicks have and the right. Lakers. And like where, when you're in the big market, like Chicago, are they really going to commit? The patience. Yeah. Yes. Like I, I don't believe that. So if I don't believe that, then I'd rather just keep Jimmy Butler and then just hope because Jimmy Butler seems to be friends with all the stars 
that he's able to talk somebody into it. Like, just open up your cap space. Like, find ways. Don't sign Rajon Rondo. Don't sign Dwayne Wade. Just be careful and proactive while trying to find the right pieces to surround Jimmy Butler. That was my thought. And obviously they went another way, which is fine because now it seems like they're playing an offense and playing a style that Fred Hoiberg is more comfortable with and all that. So maybe that will work out, but I'm still pretty dubious about whether or not they're going to stay with this plan long-term, but at the same time they should, because they're still number one in attendance. And this (laughs) is like the whole thing was like, they're still going to come. People in Chicago love the Bulls. They're going to go, whether or not they're good or not. Like, I, I didn't understand what the hesitant. If you want to do this, I don't understand why they were as, as hesitant as they were to do a full teardown. Like, I get it from Atlanta's perspective, because guess what? They're last in attendance this year. No surprise. Like, no one's going to go to those games, especially when they're bad. So there's a reason to kind of keep that playoff streak alive for as long as possible, because it's about to get really bad, and it is now. <laughs> yeah, I was at... Uh... never going to be that, so yeah. I, I was at the Mavs game. What was that last Friday? And like, it was. I w- it wasn't a full. There were some empty seats, but it was pretty decent crowd. And like, the people were going nuts. Like when the Bulls made their comeback, like everyone's going crazy. So it's like, yeah, like no one cares how they're doing. And if their crowd showing up and they're getting into it, and they don't really care about any of the results, mm-hmm. it's like, yeah. But yeah, I, yeah. I, I feel like I, I too am huge, was he am still obviously a huge Jimmy Butler fan, and uh, the tw- the twenty sixteen offseason is what just killed. Like I said, the Wade Rondo thing really was a fireball offense. Like they, they I just don't, <laughs> I just don't think they really they clearly never really I think believed in Jimmy as was obviously he had the, he buttered heads with Fred, and I think just was I don't know his personality irked some people the wrong way, so they never really believed in him. So it was like all right. We'll go out, sign these big names, Wade and Rondo, get people excited about that, and we'll take this one last shot with these veterans, and then we'll rebuild. And that's kind of, and they just never really actually committed to Butler as like a centerpiece of like a not a rebuild, but like a actual team with like younger talent with your star player. Like they could have had a really nice team if they had Jimmy and they like let Nico kind of do his thing, and t- instead of just being like a spot up shooter where he never really he's he's been so inconsistent. Obviously, like you go back even further, the Doug McDermott trade killed them. They could have had if they just imagine if they had Gary Harris, or even if they dra- they could have drafted Levine instead of Doug McDermott. If they could have <laughs> brought up Levine and had Levine and Butler on the same team, like that, like that would have been really nice. But it just yeah, it's I obviously I've there's they've done so much lately that has just has irked me. I'm very vocal, outspoken against them on Twitter. I'm trying to be more positive now. Like I'm trying to mo- push the Jimmy Butler thing past. I don't want to. I'm not helping to, in this regard. I, I don't know. think. <laughs> yeah, just, I, on like Twitter, I try to, I try to just move past it. I don't want to like, get in fights anymore about it. Like I, I'm trying to get behind these young guys, and they, they all seem like likable players. Like none of these guys are dudes that I'm like really going to hate on. But like they need to show me a lot more on the court. And like obviously they're most like Lowry and Levine are still super young. Dunn's gonna has is a bit older. He needs he needs to look better a little quicker. So I'm going to try to get behind him. Going to try to stay positive. But there definitely is, as you said, plenty of reasons for skepticism about uh, their long-term future and whether they can be contenders anytime soon with these guys. So do you think ultimately they are going to stick to the rebuild this time, or do you think they're going to get antsy? Paxson has said multiple times they plan on, they plan on being patient. Uh, I don't, I honestly don't know. Like, I feel like John Paxson should be patient. He's got a job for life. Like he's been around (laughs) for 15, 16 years. He's been able, he's been allowed to rebuild this roster like three or four different times. So like, he really should be patient because they're not going to fire him. Like, and the fact that some of these these younger guys look a little better now, I feel like it's going to buy him a few more years. Not that they don't look abs completely terrible or completely useless. 
So like they should like they should be patient. Obviously, they're going to have a ton of cap space this summer, and uh, I just hope that they don't try to be do something stupid with it. So I I hope they are patient at least for this summer, 2019. I would not mind if they go out and try to make a big splash or something like that. But I hope as long as it's the smart splash, I'd, no giving out huge contracts to over the hill dudes or anything like that. So hopefully, like I said, obviously tons of questions still. Even if they get lucky and possibly hit on this Jimmy Butler trade. They still have to show that they can build around this young core, and this young core still has to show that they can actually be worthy of building around. So they still got a ton of work to do. So I don't I'm definitely have a core. Am I lo- like, is that crazy? I don't think they have a core yet. Like, I think they have one guy. They're at, they're at step two right now. I, I guess, I, I, I guess know. they're the perceived core. Like, I mean, it, it, it's really tough to say because, like, I, we still really don't know what's going to happen with Levine this summer. So, like, yeah. they're, so, like, that's, that's that is up in the air and like you said there's still question I, I think they, i think they definitely believe in all these guys and they're obviously gonna say that they're i mean they're not gonna c- come out and trash these young guys but i mean they basically have to sell it you trade jimmy butler your top 10 player like you, you have to sell this return as your core so at least for right now it's it, it's this it's this they i think paxton said the other day that it's basically these three their draft pick this year bobby portis and denzel valentine is is their core going forward for right now? Oh and I guess I guess you could count David Nwaba has been. A, they, I will give them credit for getting picking He's up David Nwaba. He's a really nice player. They have the makings at, at least they have the makings of a decent bench with Nwaba, with Portis, with Valentine. Like that's a decent. Well, that's what you want when you're a bad right. lottery team. You want to right. be like, developing that bench they, to get you have, ready for five years from now. <laughs> they definitely have at least that, and maybe Chris Dunn ends up being a good backup point guard, and they end up getting a real point guard. But I don't know. Like they have some nice guys, but in terms of actually being like legit contending core, definitely a ton of questions still. So we'll, I guess I guess we'll see. I'm trying to be more optimistic because I've always been such a been such a just pessimistic Bulls fans lately in the last couple of years even with Jimmy I love watching Jimmy but like just the last couple of years have just been so just aggravating to watch because how just the style of play the, the moves around around Jimmy just it's it was the apathy had set in and my, I'm totally apathetic about the team right now but it's like <laughs> rooting for them to lose games and some of the, some of the bums that they're like Cameron Payne and just like I don't want to really watch these guys play but I'm really I'm looking forward to next year to see it'll be a big year for the, for the development next year. Maybe maybe we'll know a little more. Hopefully we'll know a bit more about these these young guys and if they actually can be any good. And it's a weird draft because I don't think Trey Young would, is the best guy for them to target depending on where they oh, land. Definitely, like definitely I think Mo Bamba like you said, somebody like that. I don't know if DeAndre Ayton's the right fit next to Markinen. probably not, but I mean DeAndre Ayton's awesome, but I I guess it depends on how you think he's going to be defensively in the NBA, but by everything I've read it seems like there's a lot of question marks and there's a lot of concern surrounding his defense. Yeah, I've watched, it sounds kind of like Carl Anthony Towns a little bit to me. Yeah, I've watched a few Arizona games and they were definitely, I, you never know with college though sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes these guys kind of just, there's the coaching and sometimes these guys just sleepwalk through these games. It was like, I definitely saw the question marks. Like the effort really wasn't there. Like his help side weak, like weak side defense was just like non-existent. His blocks, because you look at Jaron Jackson, Bamba, like those guys are blocking like four or five shots a game. And Aiton, who's like seven foot freak, was at like, I think like maybe under two. Like it just, like a guy like that should be blocking a ton of shots. So the fact that he wasn't, it was definitely kind of discouraging. I think from what I've read, I haven't watched them that much lately. I think from what I've read, he showed a bit more improvement down the stretch of the season. Like obviously if you get one or two, I would probably take Aiton. Obviously, Doncic would also be really fun, but I feel like a lot of people think Aiton is the safer pick, I guess, just 
because the dude is a freak and like the tantalizing skill set and physical profile of him is like insane like he looks like he should be amazing so yeah like i i really like the idea of jaron jackson jr as well just was like seven footer with a long ass arms who can jump who can block shots like crazy and who can theoretically shoot the three as well like that sounds like a great fit for the bulls offense him next to lowry two stretch bigs but he can also man the middle and uh protect the rim i know i've I watched a good amount of michigan state i know he's he gets in a lot of foul trouble but he's also super young so like if they can develop him correctly he could be an absolute monster next to lowry is just a rim running three-point shooting blocking shot monster in the middle like the idea sound idea that sounds great unfortunately right now the bulls are in eighth <laughs> Yeah. And right, a lot of people think this is like a seven-man draft. Obviously, so right now they're in the position not to take those guys. Right now, it's looking more like Miles Bridges or Mikel Bridges. Mike, I was going to say, I think when, Mikel Bridges actually makes a lot of yeah. sense for them. He's long, he can defend, and he's obviously a really smart player, and he just shoots lights out. Like, I actually really like him as a wing. Yeah, player. I mean, they, they need a three. I mean, they, yes. and they need, as like, they need a wing defender because obviously Levine's, they need a guy to guard the best wing players in the NBA. So, like, Mikel Bridges theoretically would be a nice player i get the worry there is what is his like is he a star potential yeah. i'm not totally sure i i honestly have not watched that much villanova i've, I've done i've read some on him i've looked at his numbers like obviously he's a really good, nice shooter it sounds like he's a, a really good defender he can probably guard multiple multiple positions slide into the four as well in smaller lineups like that theoretically does sound great but i think especially with this year a lot of people were expecting the bulls to be one of the worst teams in the league and that yeah. they would get and then they would get a potential future superstar, and I don't know if Michael Bridges is that, but he would be a nice player. I think it would it would be semi disappointing, but I think he's a guy that would fit in nicely for sure. You, it's unfortunate that you also can't get Luka Doncic because he's going to be Atlanta Hawk this yeah. season. So um, I don't know where I want Aiton to go. Like where ultimately I, I mean, like to see. I him. feel like staying in Phoenix or Arizona. No, I don't want anyone in no. Phoenix. No, I, mean, I don't want anyone <laughs> drafted there. Fair, fair, fair enough. They are, and they the Kings. Are, I don't want Aiton on the Kings either. I mean, I guess like any of them. Them, the Suns, the Kings, the Magic, they're all a freaking joke. The Magic, like, I don't know yet because at least they have a new front office group. I mean, yeah, Tracy's maybe they involved. Like, yeah. I think we're about to see some interesting stuff go on in Orlando. I'm, I hope. I'm willing to, so, like, yeah. give them – the benefit of the doubt for one or two off seasons with it, this new they've group. Been, they've been so depressing. I mean, it's like how bad they've been since they John traded. Hammond's there now, so maybe he can help with their drafting. Like I, I don't know. I'm. We'll see with Orlando. I yeah. think uh, it's gonna be interesting to see what happens there. But I mean, Michael Porter Jr. feels like a bull pick to me. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but I feel like I, I'm. I don't really get the hype with him from what I've seen. Like he just. There's a lot of Harrison Barnes to him. Oh, I God. feel like. Oh, no. Yeah, honestly, I've not watched him. Is that crazy? I, wa- I, I, I watched his game today, and it's impossible to obviously force a lot of shots. He was rusty as hell today. Did not look good at all. Can't blame the guy coming back from back surgery. I've am not. I have not watched him otherwise enough to really know. I guess. I mean, what is he? Six nine, six ten. He supposedly yeah. really smooth score. Like. I guess the idea of him sounds great, but the idea of Harrison Barnes also sounded great. And then it turned into just, it's the epitome of an average player. So yeah, I don't know. Like taking the guy off scares me, man. I mean, the back injury, you just never know what happens with that kind of stuff. Like, I guess if if the bulls pick either eight or nine and he falls there, like it's hard to pass on a talent that, that late, but then again, he's falling for a reason. So, and you also have to wonder. So it'll be really interesting to see how he does the rest of the season. See, there won't be that many games left for Missouri. They lost, and I can't imagine they go that far in the tournament. 
and then we'll see during draft season. But and I I've, I know I've had multiple people like I've had a friend tell me oh they should definitely take Porter Jr. I've had people on Twitter tell me they should take Porter. It's like I I don't know if I could really totally get behind that. I mean I guess if they like I said if they pick towards the back end of that top ten and he's there like I guess talent talent wise sure why not? But you definitely definitely red flags there. Yeah. Um, all right, man. This was fun. I hope I did not like drive you into a Bulls depression because oh, that was not the intent. I promise this podcast because I want the Bulls to be good. The NBA is better when Chicago is good. But uh, I appreciate you taking the time, man. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, I, I, I'm trying to be a more a little more upbeat, more optimistic about the Bulls these days, even when they're not that good. So like talking about them isn't isn't that depressing anymore. I'm just kind of just kind of don't even care what happens to us the season for them. Just <laughs> hope they hope they show a few nice things and. I'll try to be more optimistic about them in the future. So we'll see. All right. Thanks for having me on, man. Yeah, no problem. And last thing before we go, what is the right nickname for Markkanen? Uh, I like the finisher. Okay. So I I, I guess, yeah. What are the other ones that are even out there? I feel like there's been multiple. There have been multiple. I just don't remember. There's like the, I guess you could say like the Marksman. Ooh. I don't know. I I, I, I like the finisher a lot. I think it it sounds good. It's that it obviously works with these finish. So like, I think that I like, I like, I've been going with that one. All right. That works. Um, all right, man. Well, we can find you on Twitter at bulls underscore J. We can read you at fan rag sports and also at bulls blogger. We'll have to do this again soon, man. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. All right. Thanks bro. And that'll do it for today's episode of the chase Thomas podcast. I just want to remind you guys, if you like today's episode and you are subscribed on Apple podcast, or iTunes, I would really appreciate if you could take a second, leave the show a five-star rating and a review. If uh, you're not an Apple podcast listener, remember you can find the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, be sure to check out chasethomaspodcast.com where you can access all of my previous episodes and also find all my writing. I'm writing there fairly often. And also follow me on Twitter at Chase underscore Thomas and like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Chase Thomas writer. Thank you for your support and we'll be back another episode very soon. Thanks guys. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.